All right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. Raf Giallo here. You can subscribe for free on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts, and also listen in on RTE.ie. We'll be previewing the 2024 League of Ireland season. We're still waiting for word on the next boys and green manager, but we do know the opposition for the Nations League later this year. To do all that, I'm joined by Keith Tracy and Graham Gartland. And lads, welcome back uh, to the podcast after um, our little mini pre-season <laughs> and hiatus. But we'll just start on the next uh, Republic of Ireland manager, of course, as we discussed with David Snade and Anthony Pine last week um, over about half an hour. Uh the identity of this next manager has not been confirmed. We do know Lee Carsley is the favourite and the one that uh, that the FAI clearly are targeting and Neil Lennon appears to be the uh, the backup. Now, we're not expecting an announcement this week. Apparently, Jonathan Hill had said it uh, at, on Saturday at Dublin at the Dublin Airport Cape Hotel to delegates that an announcement is not imminent. But uh, Keith, I suppose, first on Lee Carsley, um, while he is the favourite at the moment, there is the sense that if he if he had said yes, this would have been done and dusted a long time ago, which just shows the amount of bargaining power he does have. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a secret that the FEI want Lee Carsley. I think from what I'm hearing as well, I think the Irish public are, are, are leaning towards Lee Carsley. I think in an ideal world, a lot of people would roll the dice with, with Roy Kane, but I don't think that's financially viable. I don't think the FEI are are in a place to make that happen unless Sky were willing to, to help us out and, and Keane himself. So, look, I, I still think Carsley will get it. I know there's been a, an awful lot of talk in the background. and Look, I, I spoke to ex-internationals, uh, people from Lee Carsley's generation, and they're, they're assuring me that he wants the job. He's, he's a very proud Irish man, and he views himself as a very proud Irish man. So, I still think he's going to get the job. I, I'm, I'm hearing they're bashing out the the ins and outs of the contract right now. I, I know living in Ireland is a big thing for the FAI, but it's probably not something that Lee Carsley would be would be willing to do full-time. So, look, I, I think he'll be given the job. I think he will get it. I think it's just, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's at the minute and Lee Carsley will get it. But as long as he's in place for, for the friendlies next month in March, I, I think we'll all be happy enough because they've had an awful lot of time here, the FAI, to, to get this right. And I think Carsley is probably the right man to, to bring us to the next stage. But again, Rafa, I, I'm not too worried about what manager's coming in. I'm more worried about what what style of play they're going to have. Because again, it, and I, I mean this as a as a well done to Stephen Kenny and Keith Andrews. I think they got all they could out of the Irish team playing the way they played. And, you know, the, the open, expansive type of football. I think we, we, we got everything we could out of that style. So, I think, I think Carsley will change tack or whoever it is will have to change some sort of tack. You know, I think... England coming in September, it's a, it's a glamour toy, but if we open up and we, we have space between the lines, Bellingham, Foden, Grealish, these lads, Kane, will absolutely annihilate you. So I, do, I think there's ways we can get stuff out, out of the bigger boys, but it's it's a pragmatic style and it's not what people want to hear, but when the big boys come to town, we have to shut up shop, we have to be pragmatic. And look, by all means, when Gibraltar come to town, the, the, the so-called minnows of the, of the world, then yeah, we can open up, we can play a 4-3-3, we can be a little bit more stylish, but when the big boys come, the likes of England, even the Greeks, and that might be a hard pill to swallow, but they're better than us. You know, technically they're better than us. They're further down the road than we are. Does that mean we can't win? Not at all. We just have to play a different a different brand of football. And I think we can get stuff out of it. You know, it, it won't be great on the IRAF, but I'm hopeful we can we can get to the next level with Lee Carsley. Yeah, and just uh, before we touch on the Nations League draw, Graham, uh, Neil Lennon as the fallback option. Do you feel, and having played in Scotland, do you feel sometimes there is a little bit of snobbery towards Scottish football, um, in a sense, because we, with all the trophies he's won as a manager at Celtic, sometimes there is a sense maybe that uh, it's not as highly regarded, it seems, from at least from whether it's media and some aspects of the the fan base. But I don't know what you what you make of that. Yeah, it can be. There's a there's a weird sort of dynamic between the two leagues at times. Like we Scotland would probably look down the nose on the League of Ireland and. The Premiership would look down its nose on Scotland, and and that's the way it sort of goes in terms of the the leagues. But in fairness to Lennon, like he he won trophies at Celtic during the time when obviously he took over from Tony Mowbray. He hadn't won the league then; they were chasing it. He could, you know, he done really well in Scotland in his first tenure there. Um, there's controversy follows him because of stuff that he does on the sideline, especially in, when he plays Rangers or he's involved in games against Rangers, but. I don't think that'd be the case when when he's if he, if he ever became Ireland manager, and um, but he is very hands on. I've I've seen him work 
I've coached against them. Um, I've watched them on the sidelines when even reserve teams are playing and he'll go and get involved and try and help out. So he's very hands-on and in in how he wants things to be done and what he wants. Um, very motivationally based, and uh, pushes players, but he has a good understanding of the game as well. But going back to what Keith said, there's a little bit of it where you're like, you know, Ireland have, have opened up and tried to play well. I do think you can be both. I've always said that from the start on this podcast. We've done it two years ago. I said, look, I think being open and expansive with the ball doesn't mean you have to be open when you're defending. I think you can do both. I think we, we should beat the, the smaller teams around us. But I, where, I'd, where I would see the jump and what if bringing in Lee Carsley is the one is that we go and actually outplay the likes of a Greece and a Finland. I think that's the jump that we're looking for from a manager is that, yeah, to go and compete against France, England and the bigger nations, it might be beyond us right now. But I think what we're looking for is, you know, people who want to see Irish football do well is that we go and match a Greece and match a Finland and go and actually be a dominant team. Our under-16s went and beat Greece 6-0 there a month ago. And you're saying, right, well, the talent pool is there, but how does that translate up to a first-team version when our first-team take on Greece? So that's that's what you're looking for. And that, that would be of us evolving from what Stephen and his coaching staff has done to evolve it is, yeah, we, we might have to be a bit more pragmatic against the bigger teams, but can we go and actually match up to the teams that are in and around us, the, the, the second and the tour place players, play our teams that allows us to, to get into playoffs or maybe even qualify as second place? Yeah, and of course, uh, that draw, as you mentioned, the, the teams are we will be facing in the Nations League in the second half of this year, which are, of course, uh, England, Finland and Greece. And Keith, I mean, obviously England is the one that's gaining all the attention because of the, you know, neighbours, rivalry, etc. All that comes with it and all the history that uh, that surrounds it. But what was your initial reaction when you when you looked at that draw? Because I imagine Greece and Finland really is going to be the litmus test of where where we need to be rather than say England who again it'll be hard to gauge where they're going to be because by the time the fixtures happen it's going to be after uh, the European Championships and perhaps they'll have a new manager or there might be some sort of changes behind the scenes yeah they, they could even be coming to Dublin as European Championships you know they could uh, they could go and win the, win the Euros outright which I wouldn't be too surprised with um, in terms of the draw, I think it's probably, in football in terms, it's probably as bad as we could have got. I think the Finnish ones is probably the only one we're looking at thinking maybe we could beat the Finnish, but believe me, Ant-Man up front, uh, Pukki as well, is not a bad player. I think he scored five goals in European Championships uh, qualifying last season. So although Pukki's 33, he still has a little bit of belt and very quick, clever movement. So Finland, Finland won't be any mugs either. They'll be, they'll be tough to play against and. The, the, the Greek one for me, I know what Graham is saying. Can we go to the next level? Can we outplay them? I don't think we have the players to. And I, I'm just really fearful that to be a possession-based team, you need somebody in the middle of the, the middle of the pitch who's very, very comfortable on who you can just give it to. It doesn't matter if there's two, three players around them. Give it to them, lend it. You won't lose it. I don't really trust any of our midfielders to keep the ball. You know, when we're on the deep in our own half and we're fizzing balls in, in the Cullen Malumbi Brown. I'm, I'm nervous. I'm very, very nervous. And <clears throat> the one thing I always go back to is the when we were in the game against the French and Pavard scores that goal, the, the Cullen side was passed. I was thinking, that's so avoidable. And I know we're trying to play out, but for me, if the French are coming to down, they're going to have to rip us open. They're going to have to do something brilliant to score a goal. We're not going to give the ball away on the edge of the 18 yard box. And look, I, I, I just think we've gone so far down this road with trying to play football, trying to play football. I think the English, the English one, I think we'll stand up. I think we'll do all right, Raf. I don't think, I think we'll get beat, but I think it'll be a, it'll be a, a defeat More. that we stomach. You know, I think we'll we'll dig in, we'll give a go, we'll we'll get our backs against the wall, and we'll we'll do okay. And against one of the best teams in the world, that's no that's not a big deal. But the Finnish game, the Greek game, they're the two we need to turn up. They're the, that that's our little league. The English will just go away from us in this group, so we need to concentrate on the Greeks. We need to concentrate on the Finnish game. And at home, we need to make the Aviva a fortress. We have to. It has to. We just have to make it like that. And but I'm very, very hopeful moving forward that we can we can strike something up because with Benny doing so well at Luton, Evan Ferguson seems to be a decent outlet. He's he's obviously knows how to hit the back of the net. Mikey Johnson's gone alone to West Brom. If he can start getting a couple of games, we've two wingers there that can go and hoard people, and we've a striker who can finish. 
So if we can do what Ireland notoriously does or has done over the years, defend, keep clean sheets, there's every chance we can nick games 1-0, 2-1, stuff like that. But in terms of playing open football, blowing teams away, getting two or three goals every game, I don't see that happening. I really don't. And look, at we, we don't have to do that. That's If, if it's not... If that if we don't have to pull the players to do that, then we have to we have to go down a different avenue. And for me, we the good thing is we have the bones of a team. We've we've two decent centre halves that can do a bit for us. We Seamus Coleman that's still knocking about, still a good professional. We've two lads on the wing that have pace and a boy up front that can finish out. The bones of it is there, but a possession based team that are going to strangle people and turn the screw and make it nice. I don't think we have it. Okay. Just, just, as well, aren't they, Keith? For the next ten years, like if you've you've got two. What class goalkeepers as well that you're not worried about? You're not thinking oh, that's going to be a problem. I think if you look at what you 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 asked me about Scotland there there if you look what Steve Clark done, and 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 what when Steve Clark went in at Kamarnock, he made them really pragmatic. They were excellent, but they were so hard to beat, and he didn't mind that, and he realised what he had. He went to Scotland and he done the same for the first year. I remember there was a lot of people giving out about it's not great on the eye. And eventually start building them up where their confidence went higher. And then they were able to play off the back of knowing, well, look, we're all right back here. So we can express ourselves a bit more further up the pitch because we're keeping clean sheets. And eventually the confidence, and then it became a really sort of energetic camp. The morale was high in the camp. The, the boys were looking forward to going to camp. And then they just start pulling out these results. And some of them are backs against the wall. They went to Spain and let Spain have the ball, but then like Nick Golds or beat Spain or Hamden on the counter-attack. And then they went and beat the teams around them. So I, again, a little bit of, for us to go to that next level, and I'm not, I'm not saying we're there, I'm just saying for us to go to that next level, it is beating the likes of, of Greece and Finland and doing it whatever, whatever means necessary to do it and then growing the confidence and building that up to take into qualifiers in the following year. And I think the, the earlier we can get Lee Carsley in and he can see which way he wants to do it, the better it will be for the FEI going forward. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. I, I, spot on, Graham. I think if you look at if you look at the Scottish team against our Irish team on paper, I would say the Scottish player for player are better than us. But they don't do that as individuals that you think, my God, like we couldn't do that. It's how they press as a team, it's how they go about it as a team, and they make a hard Horrible Hamden is hopping. I think we should model ourselves on the Scottish because I, I've heard Steve Clark in interviews after the game say, well, we're Scotland and we're going to go about it how we go about it. They're not trying to do the model of Man City. They're not trying to be Spain. They're Scotland. And if we come to town, and look, I, I, I'm telling everybody who listened to me, look at the, the Arsenal second goal against Liverpool. The, a ball clipped in behind in that grey area. Alisson, the best goalkeeper in the world. Van Dijk, supposedly the best centre-half in the world. Martinelli just shows good attitude, runs after and all of a sudden he has a tap in. If you put balls into grey areas and make defenders defend, make goalkeepers come off that line, you'll get teams. And if teams are going to stand on the halfway line, centre-halves don't like running towards their own goal. So just chip it over and run after it. And you'll get stuff out of it. It's not a complicated game, but it's very, very complicated if a team is going to say, we're going to stand on the halfway line and press the lines out of you and you're going to try and play through us. Then it can be very, very difficult unless you have all the talent in the world. But if you don't, you have to play percentage football. You have to back teams off you. And when they do back off you, we get the ball out to our Benny. And then we say, go and show me how good you are. But we have to be rigid. We have to be solid. And we have to keep clean sheets to be able to compete in groups. Yeah, and we wait and see when the next manager is confirmed. Um, again, it's uh, it's one of those... They're announcing a new sponsor this week as well, though, right? Yeah, yeah. So there could be a couple, a few things bundled together for sure. Um, and of course, there's uh, Mark Cannon's player pathway um, thing as well, yeah. which is uh, of huge importance too. But uh, before we touch on the League of Ireland, uh, of course, uh, this morning, Ireland, uh, the Ireland women's team confirmed Colin Healy and Emma Byrne will be remaining part of Eileen Gleeson's support staff. So they were part of the interim staff, but they're going to be carrying over now for the start of the Euro qualifiers and these upcoming friendlies later this month. And in terms of the League of Ireland and domestic football, the starting gun for the season uh, was last Friday with Shamrock Rovers beating St. Pat's 3-1 in the President's Cup final. Trevor Clark with a brace and Josh Monaghan as well scoring uh, the Rovers goals and then Jamie Lennon with the consolation and a record 8,000 plus attendance for it as well. And the Premier Division kicks off this Friday and we've got a live game on RT2 and the RT Player which is Shamrock Rovers against Dundalk. Coverage starts at half seven and kick off at eight o'clock. And 
before we touch on the clubs, the overall prize money for the league's three divisions, uh, that's the Premier, men's Premier Division, First Division and the women's Premier Division has risen 17% from 655,000 to 765,000 and the premier division is going to see a 55,000 increase to 545,000 now Shamrock Rovers as mentioned there they won the president's cup final and they won the league last season by 7 points but it was the lowest points total they'd had in this uh, in this four in a row excluding the uh, the covid season they got 72 points last season now, they've lost Captain Ronan Finn, who's gone to UCD. Uh, Alan Manis has retired, but they do have newcomers, Aaron McAniff and Dara Burns coming in on loan, and Johnny Kenny, Trevor Clark and Marcus Poon coming back for one more season. And Graham, on paper, when you look at them, are they, you know, they're they're obviously looking to build from a position of strength, but do they look stronger on paper to you than the team that finished last season? Um, I'd, I'd say to be similar. Um, obviously, it'd be a big season for Poles and goal. I think Manus has been a mainstay for for the Fordner Rows, and he's been excellent. So, but look, the the thing about Shamrock Rovers this season, if they, they they've signed loads of lads that either know the club and know the league, so they're not bringing anybody that's unknown that has to settle. Uh, Honahan comes in from Cork. He played in the Cork Premier Division last year. He's probably the best defender. Pilms obviously come back on loan. Who had a good season last year. McAniff's come back, had a brilliant um, career here before he went to Hearts. And then obviously, Bournes, who's, who've done it at Pats before he went away, was one of their best attacking threats. And Kenny. So they're bringing in lads who know the league and they can hit the ground running. They know what to expect when they go to, to these games. Um, they're, they're just strong. They're just strong all over. You, you saw that who wasn't involved the other night was the scary bit when you see that Bourne and Bork sitting on the bench but to me I still think it boils down to Gaffney I think he's probably the best player in the division he's the difference at times in in a lot of the games he makes Rovers tick he brings their players in brings their midfielders into the game he brings their wing backs into the game and he just allows them to grow up the pitch and you can even see it with the tour goal as the you know Pat's poor press on he just leans into the right back lets the ball go over him and then Clark's away and he goes to score he goes and scores and kills the game. And it just, he's their outlet when teams do decide to press. And I haven't seen many teams being able to handle them throughout the year. So I do think, I think they're as strong. I think their favourites are going to, I think they're going to take a lot of stopping. I think a lot of teams who are building are still probably a little bit off. Uh, Pats have built a lot. It's John Daly's first full season. He done incredibly well to win the cup last year. I think some of his signings have been excellent as well. The likes of Keeley, again, players who know the league. Um, Bulger coming in from Cork. I think he's a great sign. I think it was a bit unfair, maybe even playing right back the other night. Brandon Cavanagh, again, another excellent young player coming down. Keating. So they've signed players that know the league as well. And I, I, I probably think the main challenge will come for them. I fell for the goalkeeper the other day. I think, you know, I think he will be a good addition to them. It's going to take a while for him to settle as well and get used to the league. Um, Odumosa played in 2022 in the President's Cup and made a mistake as well. And he went on to have a good uh, career at Pats before he sold them and moved them on. So um, I wouldn't be so quick to judge him. He obviously knows he can do better, but he has he has a lot of pedigree as well. But yeah, I do think... I do think it's like it's Rovers League uh, again. And I'm, I'm not just saying they're off the back of, I just think everything's in place for them to be successful and other clubs are, are still trying to catch up to that. Yeah, and as you said, it's Pats who could uh, pose the, the stiffest challenge. And Keith, when you look at uh, Pats' squad from uh, finishing third last season, winning the FAI Cup, and then what was interesting, they got a lot of their, in terms of the, business into the club uh they'd got it done very early which always looks like a good sign and i guess helped as graham said by the fact that there is stability there with john daly in a way that wasn't there two years ago when um stephen o'donnell leads him to a cup but then very quickly goes to dundalk yeah look from <clears throat> pats have signed some good players i think brandon cavan is a very very exciting keen cavan is exciting and I was at the awards dinner at the end of last season and Rory Keaton, Rory Keaton was sitting on the Pats table. That's how quickly that was done. So I'm sure he feels comfortable already in there. But I think there's a lot of question marks. I think the six or seven players gone out of the gone out of the, the building at St. Pats. And that's a huge turnover. I know that's quite normal in the League of Ireland, but 
you can't just take six players out of the starting line and throw another six in and think, well, we hit the ground running on paper, they're good players. It doesn't work like that. So Pats will have to work out a couple of little kinks here and there, how people play. You know, Chris Forrester will have to get used to the likes of runs that the that Kavanaugh likes to make. So there'll be little things like the keeper, like Graham says, I did feel from I thought he could have done better for for two out of three goals. I thought the first one he's positioning was wrong, and the second one he's uh, his handling wasn't great. He should have saved it. So he's just got his first taste really of the league. So he you'd expect him to get a lot better. But just some question marks. I think Mark Doyle would be a big, big miss. Him coming in from the left wing, the way he used to attack the, the crosser coming in from the right side was brilliant. So there's a lot of young players. Tom Lonergan's gone out as well. Now I know Pats have filled these players, they filled the holes, but just question marks. How are you going to get on? How are you going to get, you know, Cavan coming down from Derry back into back into Dublin? It's not always as easy as just playing football and getting on with it. There's a human side that that has to adapt as well. So just question marks over there. I think Pats will be the best of the rest. I'm very reluctant to go against Shamrock Rovers. I think from for their high standards last season, they were fairly poor, especially in and around Europe. They were poor, but nobody nobody else could could grab the league with a scruff of the neck and go and take it Such on. Such a poor start, wasn't it, Keith? Yeah. Like the door was open, nobody nobody came through it. Like the door was open from the poor start that Rovers had, and nobody was able to just go through it. I'd agree. I sorry, I think Sam Cortis is probably going to be a big miss for Pats because it doesn't look like the. It's probably the one position he haven't filled. Keith might know more than I would on it, but I, I, there's not really a right back jumping out at me in that in that group that they brought in. I know they brought in Torner, which allows them to maybe play three at the back and play left side of centre back. I don't see a right back in there, and Bulger had to play there the other night. Is that something that they'd look at going forward? Yeah, no, that's a that's a big one because. So much of what Pat's do is Jake Mulraney, and Jake Mulraney's really good player. Will give you so much down the right. Doesn't really want to come back too much, so you need a good right back who can defend in one on one situations. Cortis was ideal for that because he was so quick, so energetic. He could do a bit of both. He'd get up and down and he'd do his defensive stuff. So, look, it, it is a tough one, but I'm sure John Daly, you know, the boys in and around Pats will be identifying, had a look and thinking, is there anybody we can nick and just, just a solid right back? Just somebody we don't really need too much going offensively, but defensively, we need to shut up shot because, like I say, Mulraney will go missing at times and he, he will win the games, but you'd be left 1v1. and Sam Cortis was just, he was such a, a brilliant utility player because he would play right back, Rogowski got injured, Redmond got injured, just slotted in centre-half and to be 16, 17 in a, in a man's league, to be doing that, to be physically not messed about was brilliant from him and I'm delighted he got his move to Sheffield United. I would have loved him to see him hang on for another year and maybe go over trying to get into the fourth team at, at, at Sheffield United but Look, he's, he's in and around Premier League players. He's learning off Chris Wilde, Keith Andrews, people who've been there and done it. And hopefully he can he can get some minutes under his under his belt and press him. Hopefully we'll see him in the Premier League. I don't think it'll be next season because they'll, they'll be back down in the Championship. But hopefully Sam can can hit the ground running over there. Yeah, and then Derry City finished second last season, but uh, they got one fewer point last season than they did in 2022. So it feels like there was a level of stagnation there, Graham. But... The, a lot of the focus has been on the the forward line and getting like basically a fox in the box. And Patrick Hoobin is somebody Rory Higgins was looking at getting. He's got him now. Um, do you feel that uh, that gives them an extra dimension? I I I think it'll help them in the games where they're probably dominant in in their possession stats, and then they have a lot of sort of pressure in in the opposition half, and then he you know balls into the box and balls across the box. I think he'll nick them goals where they probably weren't getting that um, off McGonagall. And I think in the big games against Rovers, Huben has a good record in terms of he scores a lot. Of head, he scored a couple of head of goals last year against Rovers, but. When they're high up the pitch, he's probably not going to hurt you behind. So I think the likes of Duffy and Kelly would be big ones that are going to have to stretch the game in the bigger games. Um, again, going toe-to-toe with Rovers. They beat Rovers last year at home. They probably should have beat them in the game when they were winning 1-0 with five minutes to go and Bork gets a penalty. But in the other games... And I think going back to Pats as well, Pats didn't take any points off Rovers last year. I think they took, sorry, I think they drew two all in, in Tallis Stadium. Moraney scored with a last minute goal. That was the only point he took off them. So out of possible 12 points, they've taken one. And if you're going to really take a chance, win the league, you've got to take points off your closest rivals. I think Derry can do that at times. But it's the games like, I'll give, like I'll give you an example. Rovers, after that, 
Derry game, Rovers went to UCD and drew nil all. And Derry then go to Sligo. And you're thinking if they beat Sligo, they could be back in it. And they lose one nil. And Sligo were really struggling at the time. And it's that ruthlessness, it's that streak of going. Where no matter what happens, we're coming out with a victory in this game. And I hope they're hoping that Huben does that for them. But they do need to get that something about them that win when they're when they're expected to win. That's a hard thing to have. You're you're now class as second favourites to win the league, a tour favourites. You have to go and win and take these take points off teams that you're expected to beat. And the other games will take care of themselves. The Rovers dirty games will take care of themselves. But I do feel that it's something that the other teams need to get. Rovers tend to get it. They go and win when they're expected to win and they just write sharp shop out you get. And I think the other teams need to get that if they are going to wrestle the title away from Rovers. But, like, look, Shells will be strong as well. Shells will be difficult to beat. They brought in Williams to help them. Liam Borg comes in on. And, you know, they've, lose, they've lost the top goal scorer in the league, which is going to be massive in terms of the goal output. Uh, Boyd will be big for them. Um, but they, they look like they've just sort of solidified a little bit with all the turmoil with going into the, the off-season with Damien maybe leaving. It looks like they've just sort of settled on it. Dundalk, Sligo, I don't think, I don't know what to expect out of them because I don't know some of the players that they brought in. It's like, they just like Keith said, you bring in this big overhaul of players, then it's very hard for them to hit the ground running. I do think the lad they brought in, uh, Jamie Golan, Three or four years ago, I watched him play for Hibs, and he was excellent. And he was in around Hibs' force team. Uh, went on loan to Ray. He ended up signing for Ray Rovers. He was one that Hibs had really high hopes for. They thought he was going to be the next one to come through their academy system and really cement the place. If if he can get back fire into what he was three or four years ago, they've a really good player on the hands. But it depends how he settles and what what's left in him. Um, but he, he was one that excited me my ears pricked when I when I said to a few lads he's a good player this boy but it depends how he is and, and what, what sort of physical state he's in now coming over here but yeah, it's hard to see anything else from the other teams because they're a little bit unknown in terms of the players they're bringing in Yeah and just on shells Keith as well just uh, supposed to add to it uh, in terms of the players, the you know, the losing the goals, Jack Moyle and the leadership of Luke Byrne as well, which I think can't be underestimated. Uh, they were built, they were building off a really good base last season defensively, joint second best defensive record, only conceded twenty seven. Um, but the area they needed a bit of work on was the goals up front. So they got forty four, um, overall in the season, and only two, the two relegated clubs, Cork and UCD and Drogheda, um, scored fewer than that. So that's clearly the area if they're going to push on after a very good fourth place finish. Yeah. Yeah, but Damien Duffel say you only you know you only need to score one goal a game to win it if you can keep a clean sheet. And if Shelbourne are going to be defensively as strong as they were last season, they only need to improve a couple of percent in the in terms of scoring goals. And I think the way Shelbourne play, I, I think again they're getting exactly what they need out of the team with the with the three centre halves, the two wing backs, recovery runs or sprints. It's so hard to play against them. And when they do lose the ball so much, you hear now football transition, transition. When Shelbourne lose the ball, you you very, very little time to go and hoard them because, like I say, every sprint, every recovery uh, run is a sprint. The two uh, the two wing-backs come back really, really quickly. And they can go and hoard you. They don't care about having possession. They don't care about, you know, how the flow of the game is going. They have every chance to hoard you. I think Damien Duff, I think he's a brilliant man-manager. I'm hearing a lot of stuff about them doing army training and stuff for pre-season. So I'm sure they'll be well-drilled just like they were all last season. Yeah, Damien Duff just seems like one of these guys that every now and then you get a manager that you just click with and, you know, you think, <clears throat> oh, he loves the club, he loves the players, he wants us to f- wants us to flourish, wants us to do well. And Duffer just seems to just seems to use that. And when you have a lad who's done so much in his career and he's willing to give you so much out of his, his managerial career as well, he's putting so much into the League of Ireland, you can't help but want to run through brick walls from him. And, yeah, I think Shelbourne will be fine. I, I think they might even... You know, mid table, maybe top half fighting for Europe in around there. I think they'll be absolutely fine in terms of relegation because I think that's the big question. I think Galway will put up a real good fight. I don't think they'll. Uh, I don't think Galway will go back down. So last season, I think everybody knew UCD are the ones going down. Who's fighting for the playoff? I think this season it's all up in the air. You know, anybody could be last. Anybody could be in the playoff. But I like Galway. I think Galway. I've seen them in the FAI semi FAI Cup semi final against Bowes. 
And I thought they were really good, really solid, very pragmatic in what they do. But it's horses for courses. And they were very competitive in that Bowes game. And that was when Bowes, obviously, had Afalabi, really good team. So I, I think Galway will be mid-table. I don't think they'll go down, which is, you know, all you can ask for from a team coming up. Yeah, and Graham, as you said, a number of clubs in that sort of mid-table have gone for or look to bring in players from outside of sort of the League of Ireland system and uh, Dundalk and Bowes, as you mentioned already, they're going to be, as you said, hard to judge. And uh, partially um, when it comes to Dundalk as well, they've, they've a, lot, a number of key performers from recent seasons, Greg Sloggett, Patrick Hoban, as we mentioned already, Daniel Perry, Kelly, Dara Leahy, they've all, they've all gone. And, you know, a few newcomers there, obviously still have Horgan and uh, Benson for a bit of experience. RT Davis is still there. Um, and Bowes, obviously they lose Jonathan Afalabi, but they've gone and they've signed a number of Estonian internationals. And again, be very hard to judge. Uh, we'll have to wait and see as the season goes on to see how they they settle in. But then Dale Rooney is a is a good addition from Drada for them as well. Yeah, the, that's probably the one that you said. He, he he's been a performer in the league for the last two years, and he's gone to Bowes, and you hopefully he kicks on, similar to what. Um, the midfielder Don Clark, James Clark, when he left, he, he kicked on and done really well. Afalabi going is massive because, again, similar to Moylan, scored the majority of the goals. I'm looking at the sheet of the players that the, the clubs have signed and that's just short. I think the five defenders on their books. I know Flores can drop back in. Uh, Buck, Buckley goes back in and plays right back at times. They've had to do that with a, with a few of them and make shift. But... Like Cornwall coming back is a big addition for them because he's played there before. Uh, he understands the league um, and he knows Bowles well. Um, the goalkeeper situation, I think he's signed the goalkeeper in the last week as well with, with Talbot being on um, on leave. Dundalk's goalkeeper situation, Shepard didn't sign back. I think they've only one goalkeeper on the books at the moment as Monroe. So yeah, it, it Bowes and Dundalk are a little bit unknown because the players are a little bit unknown. So it's hard for us to then come in and go, well, let's judge them. And I've always said, and we've always said this, having played the league, the four series of games, after the four series of games, you can go, right, let's let's see where, where teams are at. Let's see where players are at. We've seen the last year with, with certain players where you go, right, Poon, for example, at Rovers, quite a start and then grew into and you thought, right, there might be something there that he can handle the league. Other players are coming in. I think Afalabi took a while to score. And then once he starts scoring, he got momentum and kicked on. And you're like, right, well, there's a player there as well. So it does take them a little while to get used to it. And I think after the series of 10 games, then you can judge. I think Padraig Armand coming back from Ward is a big signing, considering they lost Colgan. That was a, that was a big loss to them. Uh, I'll be interested to see how their midfielder does. Uh, Romeo, who who done really well in the playoff and scored a couple of goals, he'd be the one to watch for them in terms of coming from midfield. Sligo, again, they promoted uh, Elding, the young lad, who who's the son of Anthony Elding, who, who who would have played at the club as well. Fitzgerald's a big player for them. But I don't really see much else, you know, that's coming. A lot of them are unknown. I think the top, I think the top half will be Rovers, Dirty Pats, Shells. And I think it's whoever can kick on from there, they get into it. Drotted have gone about their business really well. I think Perro is a really good signing for them. I know he had a lot of interest in it. I think he'll be the one that will get them goals. I think Keeley's a big loss for them as centre-back because he was he was very dominant in the box. Um, but they've done really well to bring in the players they have. And obviously with the investment they have, it's slowly coming in. They're trying to improve the training ground. They're trying to improve um, all these things around it before they maybe go full-time in 2025. Yeah, but, uh, uh, you know, as you said there, uh, also on top of it, probably Kevin Doherty being the biggest signing of all in terms of keeping him at the club. You know, obviously last season, Cork City showed a bit of interest, but uh, it's really been Kevin and his staff's work there that have really kept them. And especially it's going to be bigger this season. I think as Keith has already said, you know, Galway look like they'll be strong. Waterford uh, could be dangerous as well. And it's not the, it's not the same situation as last season where, you know, UCD were well below the rest of the pack and Cork as well seemed to be struggling. I think going to see the, the difference with UCD was you're, you're going to UCD and the majority of the crowd are your home fans. I think when you go away to Galway and Warford, it's going to be a different kettle of fish now. They're going to be a lot tougher games going down there. They're going to, like, any team going in, 
Galway have waited so long to be back in the Premier Division. The fans are going to be right behind them. Waterford, the same. The fans are going to be right behind them and make it as difficult and as awkward for the teams going down there as they possibly can. And I know, look, famous Roy King quote, the fans don't play. I get that. But going to UCD and there's a thousand player people at the game and they're all supporting you. It's different to going to a Galway and a Waterford. So um, that's where I think it becomes a bit more of a competitive league. Warford and Galway are both full-time as well, from what I know. So, again, majority of the teams bar draw are nearly full-time in the league, which is where we want to get to. But it makes for a more competitive league. Yeah, and Keith, when, you look at, when you're looking at those four clubs, so Drogheda, Sligo Rovers, um, Galway United and Waterford, so the latter two haven't just come up, which one would you be most worried about, especially when it comes to that uh, automatic relegation place? Straight away, the one that jump in is Drogheda, just because they're not full time. <clears throat> You'd imagine that you know Waterford will, will will have enough Galway. I I think we'll have enough to to avoid both relegation spots. So <clears throat> yeah, it's it really is all up in the air. But I think Drogheda will be looking over their shoulders, thinking we must be favourites for this. But on paper, you would imagine that they will have enough to keep away from it. But as Graham says, you know, going to going to going to Galway these days is going to be very very different. You know, rather than a UCD where it's you get on top in the game there's not much fighting you just it, it's, it's sort of accepted go to Galway you go one nail up it's not going to be accepted the fans are going to get behind them. they're going to be running you know what John Caulfield Ollie Horgan are like they're not going to sit down and take any beatings either so that'll be a really tough place to go to but we might get a better gauge I think it's Galway and Pats in the first game so that'll be a difficult opener for, for Pats in the league and we'll, we'll start to get a gauge over the, the first couple of games just how Lads are, are, are adapting to this league, but it's really all up in the air, bro. I would be nervous for Drotted from the outset, yeah. Yeah, what about Sligo as well? Because they were a little bit, um, you know, they had their issues last season. They had enough to, to stay up, but um, looking at their signings, Ed McGinty has come back uh, um, in goal. And then uh, you've Connor Malley, J.R. Wilson, Simon Power, Wilson, wherever they're among the arrivals. Um, is it enough, though, to stave off the, the two clubs that have come up and then also Drada seem to always well under Kevin Doherty at least always seem to have enough um, to stay above water yeah well look I don't think it's all about you know having class and goal scores and people to, to keep your head above water I think it can be a collective effort it can be know-how it can be dark arts it can be just getting over the line in games and Sligo have been in the league for a good while now I, I spoke to John Russell an awful lot at uh, when he was at Pats uh, playing with Sligo were playing Pats I, I'd be picking his brains and he was always quite comfortable with the situation. I think he knew from the outset this is going to be a tough season for us. And the fact that the board are sticking with him, I think they realise it's going to be a tough one for them again. And again, Sligo will be looking, but it's all about getting off to a good start. If Sligo can win a couple of games in the first round, I think that will that will ease their fears. And they have enough. I think they do have enough there. I don't think they have any one outstanding talent that you think he's the one, he's the max matter, he's the one who's going to score the goals. And, I don't think they have that player, but there's nothing to say that the collective can't get them over the line. You know, a couple of midfielders scoring goals, defend them well. And I don't think anybody likes going to Sligo. It's always a nice pitch up in Sligo. It's always a nice enough crowd. But, you know, if you're coming from Dublin up to Sligo on a Friday afternoon, your legs can be a bit heavy. It can be tough to go and sometimes Sligo can take advantage of that. So I think they'll have enough. I'm really not sure who's going to get it, Raph. I think if you were to give me some money and tell me to the bookies, I would be going for a drop of the book. I think Sligo will be there or thereabouts as well, yeah. Sligo started the season really well. Like, I, I watched Sligo play Rovers and Talla, and they were excellent. And even, like, the management staff of Shamrock Rovers came out and said it was one of the best performances they've come up against that season. But they had no cutting edge at the top end. I don't, I'm not sure if Matt was playing that day. But they were really, really good. And we done a game up in Derry for RTE where they were excellent as well. And I thought, Sligo, a really good team. But then they just fell off a cliff. I know they lost a goalkeeper. They brought back Mann, the, the centre-back from St. Johnson, and they were expecting big things to him. Everything he'd done just went wrong for him. In fairness, he was sent off. He was like scoring on goals. There was loads of things that just kept going wrong for him. And my worry with, with, with Sligo is when it starts going wrong, it's like they just fall off. Like a key juice, they fall off a cliff. It's like they're doing really well, and then all of a sudden a game turns, and it's like, here we go again. And they, they, they look defeated then and there's no sort of fighting them. I, I think Drotter will always bounce back. I think United Park, I, I played there. It's, a, like it's one of the smallest grounds of the league, as they say. The games are always competitive there. Um, 
I don't think Drotter would be in trouble. I'm not saying that when we draw the hat on, but I just, like you said, I, I think they have a lot of experience in their team um, as well. Uh, they brought Webster in as well. That gives them that bit of experience at the back. But I just, it's hard. I just think when things get tough for Sligo, they, they sort of roll a bit. And I don't think Drotter would have that. I think they keep going. I think they always tend to bounce back. I, I think Warford a little bit unknown um, as well. You're not sure what they get. They got Rad- Radkowski off of um, Bohemians. But yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think Sligo would be my worry um, to be in and around the bottom. Uh, yeah. The bottom. That would be my worry. Like, you know, I just think... lost a lot of leaders as well, haven't they? Like, yeah. I look at the names that have gone out. Gary Buckley going to Galway. He, he was a real leader for them. Daniel Lafferty, although he wasn't always on the pitch, he was somebody who had experience in England. He was a decent age. He could speak to people. Greg Bulger and, and David Cawley, the two centre midfielders, they were they were real yeah. leaders. Now, you know, you don't have to be winning the league to be a leader, but just getting people over the line. That the David Cawley and Greg Bulger could hold them. And again, it's not because of minutes on the pitch, it's just how to talk to people, how to how to get the younger lads, you know, when things do go badly, how you react and losing players like that could hurt them. So again, Raph, it's all up in the air. It could be anybody, it could be one of about four or five. Yeah. Two of them. Yeah, we're following it as a, as obviously as the season goes on and Sligo start their season at Bowes on Friday, Drogheda are away at Derry City, Waterford are hosting Shelburne, uh, Galway, as you mentioned earlier, are hosting St. Pat's and uh, the TV game on RT2 and RT Player, it's uh, Shamrock Rovers against Dundalk and coverage, as said, starts at half seven. Now, the first division is also kicking off and uh, Cork City here would look like the big fish as the only full-time setup and they've Tim Clancy with his experience of bringing a club up from the first division in charge now. And Graham, when you look at them, you know, from looking at the the feedback of some of their supporters, you would have some slight worries and concerns about them. But do you think they have enough to um you know push for that automatic spot? Yeah, I, I probably do. I think the like he touched on. I think they signed Greg Bulger as well, which would be a big signing for them. Um, you'd imagine with the full time setup that they have, uh, Hunahan would be a big loss for them. He was one of the better defenders. Key thing will be a big loss for them because of the goals. Aaron Bulger was probably the best midfielder. Um, you know, in terms of consistent performing, it's hard to look past Keating for them, but Bulger was really driving them in a lot of the games I've seen them play. Um, really sort of influential player for them, just his drive constantly running in midfield. So Bulger's different. Aaron, sorry, Greg Bulger's different to Aaron Bulger in that he'll sit and get them playing, but you'd imagine that they'd have too much. It'd be interesting to see how UCD fared out as well with them going down. They have a lot of young players that will come through and the freedom of playing in the first division where they're winning, their confidence goes up. And I think sometimes that helps with the young players. They're not getting beaten every week. Um, they're they're going to win the majority of the games, you'd, you'd imagine. And then their confidence will go high. So they could go on a run. Um, what what else around that long, Longford? You know, there's not much else around that you're, you're re- like, Treaty have had a good run in the Cups a couple of years. They're always difficult to beat. So, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to look past Cork because of the full-time element and, and some of the players that they brought into. Yeah, and looking at those uh, clubs that could be pushing and some in some cases, uh, the ones I'm going to mention, did uh, get into the playoffs last season, Keith. So uh, UCD, of course, have dropped down. Uh, Will O'Connor is now the uh, the head coach, um, but they do have the experience of Ronan Finn in there now um, after his move across from Shamrock Rovers. Cove Ramblers did very well last season, but Shane Keegan is gone. Gary Hunt uh, is is in, and also I think they're they're due to be playing some of their um, early home games at Turner's Cross while they're getting their uh, pitch relayed um, on their own home ground. And then you have Athlone, who did very well last season, but Piero isn't there anymore. And then you have a very young Wexford team who did really well last season and possibly could be the ones to push on again. Yeah, again, it's fairly similar to the Premier League in the fact that you know a lot of teams in the in the mid to lower levels have been absolutely gutted, and they brought other players in to fill the boots of the players that's left. And we're just waiting to see how they how they hit the ground running if they do or if they don't. And look, I think Ronan Finn's a brilliant a brilliant signing for UCD. The fact that he still wants to keep going at, <clears throat> given what he's done in the league, prepared to drop down a level and, and show people his experience and, and pass on his knowledge. I, I think. UCD will be there or thereabouts, but very, very hard to look past Cork in in in, uh, in the fourth division. It's just the way they play. I know Keaton will be a, will be a big, big miss for them, but 
Honahan as well, uh, Joe O'Brien Whitmarsh going across to, to Southampton. There's a couple of misses there, but you would imagine that they will just do enough. And UCD, I, I wouldn't, I think they're more or less a yo-yo club these days, aren't they bouncing up and down? But yeah, I think Cork and UCD will be the early favourites there. But again, there's so much of it, so many players get torn over in, in, in all the clubs, you're thinking it could be any, you know, it really could be anybody. But Cork and UCD would definitely be the early favourites. Yeah, and it's the a hard league, yeah. isn't it? Because they're all on they're all on one year deals and then they move on. And if a team, if a player does well, he moves. They bring in a lot like I think Wexford have made a great sign in King Cortis going in from he was player of the year in the under nineteens for overs last year. Um signed him when he was ten. He was a great kid out of Kilimana and he scored a lot of goals in the nineteens league last year. So the natural progression is that he goes there. Bray have signed a couple of lads as well and as like Keith will tell you, they get the 19s league and they need to start playing and, and they, they go and play in the fourth division, but it's a tough league as well. Um, a lot of travelling, you, like you said, up and down the Cove, Cork, Longford, Atlone, Wexford, there's a lot of travelling in the league. So you have to be willing to and be ready to play and be prepared to play. And uh, and like you said, it's a great breeding ground for the young players that when they're coming out of the 19s league, He's had the twenties leagues to go go in and get first team experience and go to the likes of Tornas Cross and experience it and perform. So, uh, um, yeah, it'd be an interesting first division, all right. Yeah, and what about what do you think of Longford Town and I suppose Finn Harps as well, who had a really uh, you know a real season to forget last year, and you know obviously they'll be looking to to bounce back and put themselves in contention. Like a lot of these clubs, I mean, the likes of Longford Town, uh, Bray Wanderers as well under Ian Ryan, Finn Harps would yeah. probably have high ambitions as clubs and see themselves as. Being capable of playing at a at a higher level, but what do you make of what do you make of those three balls in particular? Like like, uh, Ian Ryan was really like Bowles were looking at Ian Ryan a few years ago, and, and he, he never took the job with Bowles, and then Bray sort of stealing from under Wexford's nose, and it's a bit of a coup, and then you're like you're hoping that they kick on, but if the infrastructure's not there for you to kick on, really good young manager, but obviously he needs the players, and it, the Bray be expecting bigger things because they're a little bit more settled. Um, Finn Harps went obviously Dave Rogers went in last year he had a little bit of a change in that Ollie Horgan used to bring in a lot of outside players got them promoted really competitive but the players would move on year after year they'd have to redo it and eventually it just you couldn't replace the quality that was leaving he lost a lot of players one year to, to Bowes and, and Drotted and they end up getting relegated and I think they've had a little change of tact. I think Kevin McHugh has a bit more of a say and, and they're bringing in a lot of the younger players out of the academy and they've put a lot of work into that. So they're hoping that that bears fruit, that the young players are able to perform. And again, Finn Harps, it's a tough place to go. Uh, but again, they need to they need to perform when they're up there. And like you said, it's a great breeding ground for these young players to really feel what it's like to go and be prepared to play some of them might be in college but they have to make sure that they're getting off on a Friday to go travel and play with Finn Harps and that's the joys of it if you're trying to sort of make a career for yourself in the league but yeah I think Wexford would be be okay they've gone for a lot of young players as well Longford again uh, Stephen Henderson in there done a good job to sort of just keep them going and he's hoping that they kick on again this season but there's no easy jobs in that division because there's no, it's hard. They're all part-time and the infrastructure isn't there for them to really kick on and there's no real budgets for them to attract the really top players to go down. So they're working as best they can. Yeah, and then the one that did catch the eye was Kerry FC, Keith, and that's... Uh... You know, this is their second season in the in the division, uh, second season in existence. Uh, but their their new head coach, Conor McCarthy, is only twenty five years old. You know, so there's a lot of focus on that side of things. But maybe that's the best club to be uh, if you're going to be a young manager at that age, um, uh, with a club where there isn't that pressure really to push on straight away, and it's all about a long term building process. Um, that's probably the best place for him to be. Yeah, I I think Kerry's. Kerry at the minute is quite a unique place because I think there's a lot of leeway given for mistakes. As you said, Raph, only the second full season in existence. You know, what what can you really be expecting to be up the top of the league, you know, looking for promotion? I think that's unrealistic. I think there's going to be building blocks put in place at Kerry over the next couple of years. Um, there is young managers there. They'll be trying new ideas. These modern managers seeing what they can get. But yeah, it, it's all about building blocks, like you say. Only the second second season in existence. There's gonna be there's gonna be times where they take a wallop, and there's gonna be times where they're competitive. But all in all, 
they're still moving forward, like you say. So, yeah, if Kerry can, you know, win a couple of games this season, not get embarrassed and everything, then I think it, it's really is as realistic as that for them. I, I, I was with uh, Billy Dennehy. I, I played with Billy at Pats and he was down there last season. And it's very, very difficult, you know, when you're a young lad trying to get your, your point across and you're up against it and to get people to come down to play in Kerry. Really, really difficult. But if they can somehow keep their head above water this season, I think that's all the aim. Yeah, and for you, it's difficult yeah. for the clubs in terms of trying to run their budget when you see like two trips to Cork, one Dublin team, a Wexford team, up in Donegal, Cove, <laughs> Bray, Longford, Wexford. There's a lot of traveling in that league, so I do feel for the clubs in terms of the budget for buses and and all that to try and make that viable and then still be competitive on on the on the pitch. I don't think people realize how tough it is for these clubs to to try and give that that town a, a team to be proud of as well. Yeah. The, the financial cost, you know, just if you're going to Kerry or you're going up to Donegal, it's not just the fact that we get a bus from Dublin to, to Donegal, we play the game and we come back. You have to stop at a hotel, you have to get lunch, you have to refuel. There's all so many financial issues that go there. And, you know, when you, when you cross, the, cross the water in England, you go down on a Friday, you stay in a hotel, you get a couple of meals, you rest and then you play. Here, you meet at 12 o'clock, you, you drive down three or four hours, you stop at a hotel, you put a bit of grub in your belly and you're straight onto the pitch. It's, it's really, really difficult. So it wouldn't surprise me if a Finn Harps, you know, somebody that was a little bit further away in the country, just take the mantle up and do really, really well at home because people can't don't have the legs when they get there to, to put it up against them. Yeah, and Manchester City, who are in Champions League action live on RT2 and the RT player going to Denmark to face uh, FC Copenhagen. I presume they're not taking the scenic route and going <laughs> going by bus um, all the way down the Channel Tunnel and then all the way across to Denmark. I think there'll be a, a fairly plush flight uh, involved there. So this is the return of the Champions League with the uh, knockout stages and the other game on uh, Tuesday night is RB Leipzig against Real Madrid and then Wednesday Lazio against Bayern Munich and PSG against Real Sociedad and um Graham looking at Man City and uh, look they're you know they're they're still they there's still a realistic chance that they could go on and uh, get the treble but it just feels like things are clicking for them now Kevin De Bruyne has come back Erling Haaland scores a couple of goals at the weekend and what we've seen for the last few seasons where they just at this point of the season um, you know, steamroll everything in front of them. It's it's starting to happen again. Yeah, I, I probably think they needed that little bit of a lift that the Bruyne gave them as well. And you can see the reaction when he score, comes on against Newcastle and scores. Hoyland at the weekend, like the, for all the chances he had, he, he just looked so powerful. His first goal is great, but his second goal probably was what really made him stand out in Europe when he went to Dortmund was that power, that 1v1. He put it down the side, the defenders there, but he just shrugs them off and scores. And a lot of his goals at Dortmund would have been like that. He probably doesn't get as many of them type of goals as City because a lot of teams are sitting back and there's not a lot of space for him to do it. But because, obviously, they were on the counter-attack and there was space, he has a 1v1 with the defender, just brushes them off and scores. But, yeah, I think, look, it looks, it looks anonymous. And a fair play to Arsenal and Liverpool for, for going at them again because City are just a machine. Um yeah, like they're just relentless and 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 in fairness to Guardiola for him to constantly push his teams to challenge no matter for the last it feels like 15 years of Guardiola now where every year these teams are always pushing to either win the league or win the Champions League and um, yeah I can't see them having any trouble with Copenhagen uh, and I think I, looking at the group I probably think they'd be favourites to win the Champions League again it's very hard to see past them yeah. And Keith, I mean, I know you always keep more of an eye on Arsenal, but uh, is the belief still there? Of course, yesterday, you know, I was watching that match against West Ham and I mean, West Ham wilted uh, to an extent, so that probably helped as well. But the Arsenal just seem a bit rejuvenated from that uh, uh, that break they had across the uh, during January when they went away for a bit of warm weather training. Yeah, we do. We seem a, a little bit refreshed. Um, I, I think the the performance of Jorginho against Liverpool was was outstanding, but he can't play every single game. He, he's he's very one pace. He can be cut out if you get to, if you can beat him in a tackle. His powers of recovery are non-existent. There's an awful lot not to like about Jorginho, but when he plays like he did against Liverpool, the little angles when the Liverpool press is coming on, one two touch, never giving them a chance to shape the press, and it, it looks so simplistic. But when the press is coming on and it's difficult and it, can't, it has to be a hundred percent. 
He just did it and he made it look effortless. He was absolutely outstanding. Do I think Arsenal will win the league? No. I, it's just because Man City are so, so good. Um, I I was watching the, the game when against Everton and I thought for 60, 65 minutes, I thought, gee, maybe Everton and get a draw here, get a little bit little bit of something. And then all of a sudden, Haaland just went bang, bang, have that. And you're thinking, my God, and De Bruyne is coming on. To come back, to be out as long as De Bruyne has been, come back for that Newcastle game and just look like he's never been away. That's the sign of an absolutely class player. You know, players players will use the word world-class, brilliant player, but to be out for that long and come back and just look like you're riding a bike, you, you've done it all your life, that's the that's the sign of a real world-class player. Haaland, for me, looked a little bit undercooked, but then went on to score two goals. And there was a moment in the Everton game where I think it was a cross to the back stick and he, he got under it and headed it over. And one of the centre-halves for Everton just had a little word in his ear and he just smiled. And like he knew, I'm going to score. Don't, don't worry about it. I am going to score. With Hoyland, you don't quite have that feeling. But with Haaland, it's just an air of inevitability. It's going to happen. And they just have so much class coming off the bench. It's, it's ridiculous. It really is. It's so, so hard. And I'm delighted for Arsenal that they did it because the celebrations against Liverpool were under the media spotlight. Oh, they've overdone it. And I thought the media are waiting in the wings here for Arsenal to get beat by West Ham so they can jump on them. Thankfully, Arsenal managed to go and do it. But... You know, I'm, I'm hearing stuff out of West Ham. David Moyes needs to go. His time is up. Let's not be too hasty here, though. I think they're eighth in the Premier League now. They won a European trophy last year, the first time they've won a trophy in 30 years. And to be eighth in the Premier League is, is not easy these days with, with, the, with how tough it is, how much talent is in the top of the Premier League. To be eighth is absolutely fine, believe me. And yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know what the West Ham fans want. I know 6 0 Arsenal, that's not good enough. They. they did throw the towel into to a to somewhat degree, but by and large, if you zoom out from that, David Moyes teams don't do that. That that's very rare that that stuff would happen. So I expect West Ham to bounce back. I think they miss a lot with Antonio not being in the team. Bowen is having to play through the middle. Bowen is a, I, I love him to death. Eleven goals this season, but you need you want him on the wing. You want to be pumping balls up to Antonio, and you want that uh, Bowen to be getting involved. Pacquiao is an obvious big miss of them as well, but defensively they were really really poor and when you think of David's Moyes teams you think bodies on the line you know blood coming out of the nose blood sweat thunder they didn't they didn't do that it was there and they sort of shied away from it and I'm sure the, the West Ham fans most of them left at half time I, I understand that as an isolated incident but in terms of getting rid of David Moyes I don't think the grass will be green on the other side I think given the players he has to be eighth in the Premier League playing the way he's playing I think he's 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 doing better than he should be yeah, and it's a former West Ham striker as well who scored the winning goal in the Africa Cup of Nations final with Ivory Coast, the host nation, beating Nigeria 2-1, Sebastian Haller, who I'm referring to there. And a uh, great story for him as well because he'd had testicular cancer only a couple of years ago and has, uh, well, made a, made after treatment, made a full recovery, um, still playing for Borussia Dortmund and then goes and uh, scores in a, in a major tournament final for his country. But have either of you been uh, watching bits of the tournament or caught any bits of it? Yeah, little bits and bobs. I haven't been too into Rafa, if I'm honest. Um, yeah, no, I, I did think Nigeria, I thought Nigeria would have enough just looking at the players they had on paper. I thought they'd do it. But yeah, it's a brilliant story, Halar, because he, he couldn't kick snow off or open. He was at West Ham. He was really, really poor. And then he got the, the cancer diagnosis. So it's a brilliant story for him. And Kessie as well, getting on the on the score sheet for Ivory Coast. But I think Nigeria would be, would be thinking that's one that got away. I think they, they felt they had it, but... There was just a, a little lull in the game here and there, and Ivy Coachman managed to just just get the game with a scruff of the neck. And yeah, we had a great tournament, really enjoyed it. Yeah, and Graham, I suppose the other side from an Irish point of view, obviously there was the Chris Hutton side uh, when he was uh, in charge of Ghana, but uh, Pico Lopez's story to be part of a squad that goes on to a qu- quarterfinals with uh, Cap Verde, and then he's kind of bringing all those experiences back to Shamrock Rovers, where he's won plenty over the last few years. Um, you know, I guess it it's just. When he when he looks back at his career in a few years in a few years time, like he'll be, you know, there's there's a lot of stories he can sort of reflect on. Oh yeah, I I, I done a talk with him a few years ago about it and and what it meant to him and and how integrated he was into the squad and how much he felt and how proud he was to represent Cape Verde on behalf of his father and how he got the name Pico and stuff and um how he goes over and he he sings learned the national anthem and obviously understands the language a little bit better as well. Um, 
but yeah, he he's been brilliant. Like and and in terms of like our young players in our academy looking up to him, and obviously being from African descent, we've a lot of players coming through the academy that would be similar. Um, a lot of players in the academy that would be of Nigerian descent. Um, so they've been really involved in the African nations as well. But they have that person to look up to and re- and see well, I can do it. I can do it as well, and I can come through. And it's a great. And we use that word representation, and that's that's where. He is. He, um, he's representing Shamrock Rovers on the international level, but he's also representing a lot of young African kids who are trying to play football in this country and come through. And he, he and he's a brilliant role model. If if you you're not hearing anybody say a bad word about Pico Lopez in the league in terms of a wonderful player on but on and off the pitch, um, he's exemplary. Such a nice guy. Um, very warm, very generous with his time. And uh, it's a brilliant story for him. And hopefully it's something that a lot of young players can take heart from and, and, and kick on as well. All right. And uh, I think that brings us to a close now as well. So, as I said, Champions League live on Tuesday night. And that is uh, Manchester City going to Copenhagen. So RT2 and the RT player and the same channels again on Friday night for the start of the League of Ireland season as uh, Shamrock Rovers uh, take on Dundalk. And Graham and Keith, thanks very much for your time. We'll chat soon. Pleasure, lads.